Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'll field some mailbag questions, and I'm not sure how much I'll ramble on today, but we'll see how it goes. We're going to talk a little bit about AI tools and stalling out. I got a pretty interesting email from Sam. We'll call him Sam or her. You know, Sam is one of those versatile names that can go either way. And then I'm also going to, I guess, read out the premise from another email from, uh, we'll call him Andy. And I can do probably a series of shows on this topic, but I want to get input from you, the listener. So... I need your feedback. I need your follow-up questions, observations, maybe some scenarios that you have found yourself in too. And I'll actually read Andy's email or at least the premise of it early on. And hopefully, you know, you can send me an email at some point. And then, like I said, there could be like a series of episodes on this. I mean, it's a very rich topic and I think... A lot of people can relate. What a teaser, right? Getting pretty good at this. Before we get to it, I want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Ezoic. They have been working with me for a a while, a couple years now at least, and they're fantastic. I have been, you know, finding very good success with one of the uh, almost purely informational sites that I have, and it's been great to work with their team. They do have a tool, a product called Leap. It helps your website load faster, and I talk about it all the time. Helps you get green and core web vitals. Uh, another thing I'll point out, and I was talking to Sarah Klo uh, not too long ago, they do have a, a new uh, product, and it's kind of an alternative to AdSense. And it's not quite as advanced as monetizing with Ezoic. It's called Basic, and Sarah talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to point it out, and it's, it's something where you can set up really quick. I think you put in like a snippet of code, but if you're hesitant or, uh, yeah, I guess really hesitant to work with Google AdSense and you want some type of alternative, then Basic could be the right fit for you. It's over at basic.website kind of a fun URL there. So thanks to Ezoic. Really appreciate their support. Okay, first email. This one's from Andy. This is the one that I need your feedback for. And if you agree, if you disagree, if you have follow-up questions, if you have a specific experience, let me know. Uh, Nothing's too long. Nothing's too short. Send me what you have. Andy says this. I've never contacted you before, but I often listen to The Doug Show. Today's episode, which he was talking about, episode 352, was excellent. Jake was really inspiring, largely because not only he was doing really well, but he seemed to be doing really well despite having the foibles that we all share. The bouts of laziness, distraction, analysis paralysis, the regrets, like not advertising or starting his email list until after going viral, the good and the bad. But right at the end, you said something that really hit home. You said you'd been talking to someone who published 200 articles and makes under $20 a month. And that is the big fear. The one that's stopping me from actually taking the plunge. And I'll bet it's the same for many others. We listen to you and a dozen other podcasts because we're beguiled by the prospect of success. But I, and I bet 
we all are also thinking, quote, but these podcasts only tell us the success stories. What about the other side of the coin? End quote. Here are the questions that we have. How many people, let me try that again. How many people are out there doing their best to follow every step, apply every bit of advice and not making anything? What is their story? Why don't they make anything? What is stopping their success and what distinguishes them from those who we hear about who are doing so well? More to the point, which is the majority, those who do make it succeed or those who don't. Let me read that again. I think I totally fucked up the cadence on that. More to the point, which is the majority, those who succeed or those who don't? Okay. Yeah. That's written very very clearly. (laughs) I just... I just messed up the cadence on that question really bad. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. It sounds like I'm high, but I'm not. It's the morning. I'm drinking coffee right now. Maybe I'm just a little tired. Okay. So, basically, he's asking that that question here. Do more people succeed or do more people fail? And I'll tell you, more people fail. Uh, just, I could tell you that without any analysis or anything like that. Uh and I'm counting people that don't start. So most people don't start. I'm going to hop back on Andy's question here. I'm not talking about the vast majority of those who don't make it a success because they write for three months and then they give up. I'm talking about those who have written diligently for a year, but they get no real hits, no real income. If you could make an episode or two about these people and give us this picture and tell us about the side of the coin that you know people fail on, you'd be giving value that would be unmissable and would make a huge difference for the rest of my life. To blog, to not blog, that is the question. You have the answers. He says, do you? So thanks for the great show and signed Andy. So great email, Andy. Um, it was written very well. Anything that I goofed up, it was my fault. I am getting better at reading out loud though. So, you know, pretty self-congratulatory on that one. But this is a great question. And like I said, I just want to know what experiences you have out there. Send me an email, feedback at Doug.show, and you can, you know, note it, um, you know, feedback for DS364, episode 364. I'll find it anyway, but hopefully we can get some good feedback. And as I read the question, this email again, I was, I'm like, oh, I want to start trying to answer it. But I think it's really important to get more feedback from people that are out there. I will mention, you know, one aspect that is kind of in the subtext of this question. And I, I'm mentioning it more and more just in, in passing because it, this sort of thing comes up all the time. But sometimes you got to work on stuff and you don't know if it's going to work. There's no guarantee, right? Even if I started a brand new site or you know five new sites, there's no guarantee any one of them would work. But I can probably you know figure a couple things out. But there's no guarantee anything would work. Sometimes you just have to put in the time without any kind of guarantee, knowing that. I mean, really, the fact is you're going to fail. Hopefully, there are like many failures, but you're going to fail quite a lot. So you may as well just enjoy the ride and not fuck up too big. So send me your feedback. Now let's get over to 
Sam's question. Sam says, hi, Doug, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast and recently heard the one discussing AI tools. And I've started a few niche sites, but I'm not good at taking action, enough posting content. Hold on, let me, (laughs) I was doing so good. I was doing so good. I started a few websites, though I'm not good at taking action enough on posting content. I paid for a month of Jarvis AI to help create content. For me, I wasn't sure how to proceed after the first few sentences because I have my own thought process in writing, and I wasn't sure how to tell the tool which direction to go. So I canceled it. I've been a software engineer for 20 plus years, so I analyze too much, which causes me to pause and not take action. I've created niche sites after joining uh, Income School. I've listened to Pat Flynn for years in addition to YouTube creators, Niche Pursuits, Side Hustle Nation, and your show. Wow, I feel uh, honored to be in that list of people. Sam further says, I have big lists on low competition keywords and I get stuck on what to start with, writing it myself versus hiring writers and so on. Further, as an action taker, Sam says this, I've created a TV program for nonprofits working with a certain uh, demographic, eight episodes of a podcast just to prove I could do it, and I've started many niche sites. I have online courses on Teachable for a specific industry. I have DVDs basically teaching for a specific niche. I grew a Facebook group in a specific industry for or up to 15,000 members, and YouTube channels. It looks like there's about two or three YouTube channels. But I'm terrible at selling, monetizing, and committing to long-term content creation. Now I need to push through and create content for my current project, and that will be affiliate plus informational, uh, basically a niche content site. So keep up the good work. Signed, Sam. All right, so Sam, appreciate all the compliments in here and, you know, AI tools. I've been talking trash about them for at least a year and a half, maybe two years now. And I did, you know, time flies by fast. So it's probably been about two years since I've like properly tested one of the tools. And to be fair, when I tested it before, I just did like a pretty a basic test. I don't remember exactly the topic that I that I put in, but I was just trying to get like a paragraph or two uh, on a specific sort of keyword phrase. And it was garbage. It was sort of, you know, some of it was okay grammar, but it was indecipherable and just uh, overall useless. It's kind of like, what the fuck? did you even look up and try to copy and rephrase here? So I think maybe I could have played with it a little bit more, but, you know, out of the gates, I mean, I wasn't looking for like a full piece. I was looking for like, you know, four sentences. When I say two paragraphs, I'm talking like two paragraphs of like web content. So really not much. So at that point I was like, we've been promised something really cool and it doesn't seem like that's what we're getting. Then, I, I don't have a strong interest in it. I mean, I think if you listen to the show, you know, I'm like, ah, I'd rather hire a writer to do stuff. I'm working with niche website builders often. And just in general, you know, other kind of writing that I would actually do. I'm not 
I'm looking for more original ideas. I'm not looking for a crutch to help me out. Now that said, AI tools are one of the most popular topics that I run across with um, really the part of the audience that has like the most interaction and that's YouTube and that's YouTube live streams primarily because there's a very, I mean, you know, it's sort of community-based. There's a very strong like back and forth with those. The caveat and the thing that I really have to remember is that's like me interacting with YouTube comments in general. Some of them will be fantastic. Some of them will be from listeners like you who are, you know, a little more sophisticated because you listen to podcasts and yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I won't, I won't go on too far, but a lot of the people that might show up on a YouTube live stream and ask about AI writers and, you know, how they can make $10,000 a month in two months, they're, they're kind of clueless, right? That, or maybe, maybe they don't have enough information yet to be very generous. Maybe they've just heard about some things and they heard that certain things could work using an AI tool, but they don't have enough education yet. So that's the generous approach. The other one is they're just uh, morons, right? There, there are morons out there. And, you know, we just try to <laughs> try to stay in our lane and do what we're doing. So anyway, I have to remember that when I do get some dumb questions in. Yeah, there are dumb questions. I, I will say that. So I think as I'm learning more, um, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, tr I know it's a popular topic. I'm trying to feature it. So uh, a couple episodes ago on, I think it was the case study with, um, Ariel, she was, she wanted to talk about the AI tools and I was like, cool. Like I'm trying to learn more. I'm trying to s figure out the use case <laughs> that maybe could work for me or something that I want to like spend the time on. And just last episode, right? I published the episode with Bennett, who is, you know, trying some experimental stuff. He's using essentially a, a content spinner, maybe a little more sophisticated than that, but he's just trying to mass produce content and see what's going to happen. He's, you know, right out of school. He's about to start his full-time job. He's had pretty good success. I think he made up to, I think it was like 68 hundred right under seven thousand dollars in like march or something like that and he has nothing to lose he's playing around he's going to go do you know a corporate job and he's right out of school like why not mess around with these tools and see what's going to happen like go on the edge of you know what's acceptable to find out where that edge is i like it i mean that's cool that's really cool to experiment take some chances and you know, he's not doing it on his main site. He's doing it on the test site. So smart way to handle it. I'm bringing this up because some of the comments that I got from YouTube on Ariel Phoenix's, it was episode uh, 349. Um, they were, they were unhappy with me a little bit. So RM, a YouTube commenter says, the only way to solve the issue is for Doug to try the actual AI tool and show his audience why it's not useful. You keep asking Ariel the same question about AI, how it's not beneficial. Just try it. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Ariel, just do a presentation of your workflow with AI and email it to him. I hope the next interview update that either Doug will test the product and present it to his audience 
uh, his views so we can see where he's coming from. So valid, valid comment. And I will, the one thing that I replied back is, um, number one, I, I definitely let Ariel explain her use case. One thing that you can do as an interview, an interviewer in an interview is to ask the same or a similar question because sometimes someone doesn't answer everything that they want to say and it kind of gives them a chance to fill in more details. And another reason is as a person who is curious and wants to learn things, Sometimes you ask a question, which is basically a rephrased answer from what you just heard so that you can confirm your understanding. So there was certainly a lot of that going on. And if I was a more polished podcaster and had a lot of production behind it, I probably can trim out about 30% of my interviews. They'd be a lot tighter. They'd be less authentic. They'd be a much faster interview. But I actually enjoy listening to sort of the longer form interviews on the podcast that I listen to, something like um, Lex Friedman, uh, Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, not exactly Joe Rogan. Um, there's just a handful of episodes that I listen to, uh, listen to from him. But some of the others uh, that I mentioned are, are along those like long form, like you keep asking, you keep digging, you keep like going a little deeper. And then when you get to the end of a topic, you may say, did I miss anything? And you let them talk a little bit more. And I leave that stuff in because I like to hear that when I listen to a podcast. It's not for everyone. I understand some people are like, cut that shit out. I just want the 20 minutes, you know, expedited cliff note version that doesn't have all the details. And I understand it's not for everyone. Maybe you can listen to it faster. Some people like to listen to me at double speed. So, so that was one of them. And I, that was probably the most important one to point out. But the, the thing is, this is um, <laughs> a very kind of uh, like divisive topic because some people are like, yeah, I'm using these AI tools and it's great. I have heard, um, I think... Gaz, I forget the number. So G-A-Z, he's a fine member of the community. He uh, is often on live streams. And I think he used one of the AI tools for a little while on one of his early sites, published a pretty decent amount of content. He was saying, you know, you got to figure out how to use these properly. But once you do, once you treat the tools in the right way, you can get usable output that you need to edit. But it does speed up the workflow. That said, he wasn't getting too much traction on that site. He started another site and he was writing the content himself because he's an expert in it. He's part of the community, part of the niche, and it's kind of particular, right? It's kind of, um, there's some inside knowledge. So if you, if you write it and you're an expert, it will be very clear that you know what you're talking about. However, if you use an AI tool, it'll just be nonsense and it won't make sense unless you don't know anything about the topic. So he's getting traffic, he's doing better, and he actually stopped using the AI tool. And on his newer site, he's writing the content himself and he's getting you know more rankings faster with more traffic on a site that's younger. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence. So 
back to Sam's question here, which it's actually not a direct question. It's just an observation that he has. And, you know, he, he's done a lot of stuff. He's really good at starting things. And to be honest, I know it's fun to start things. I, I did this myself, especially with like new websites, like right at the beginning, I was buying, you know, multiple domains. I would put up a WordPress install. I'd put up a theme. I'd get it all set up, like all this infrastructure stuff. And I probably set up like 10 websites that I like never touched again. I would put the, you know, latest WordPress uh, version on there. I'd put my plugins on there. I'd get everything set up. I maybe would work on some graphics and stuff like that. Back then in 2013, we didn't have Canva. So that was a little bit more of a manual process and it took longer. So I would spend all this time setting things up that I would never even touch again. It was just, you know, it was fun to set them up and I was excited and enthusiastic. But when it came down to it, I didn't have enough time to do all those things. And if I even tried to, let's say I, uh, you know, slept four hours a night or something, I would just be stressed out and I would be making, you know, 10% progress on each one of the 10 websites instead of, you know, using all that effort on just one single website, which is a much smarter move. So there's a couple pieces in here and I, it's, um, I think Sam's affliction, right? He has experience as a software engineer. He analyzes too much because there's plenty of data for us to look at. And if I had to guess, I would guess that Sam is a pretty smart person. And I have seen this with very intelligent people again and again. You analyze too much. Analysis paralysis, right? You you want to you want to make sure you're making the right decision. You want to maximize whatever your efforts are. And then once you get started, you want to optimize as much as possible. And the, you know, the, the subtext of what I'm saying here is I'm, I'm not that smart. I'm, I'm trying to tell you, I'm not that smart. I, you know, I'm okay at some things. I'm not uh, an idiot in, in any capacity, but I am not uh, the smartest person in the room in many of the rooms that I go into. And just a couple reference points because I think, well, I want to hit it home. I want to, I want to knock myself down here a little bit. In high school, I was in a couple honors classes. I was in a couple of the AP classes. I was, I was actually pretty good at math and like physics and stuff like that, calculus. So, you know, my brain works pretty well in that area. In the English and writing and communication portion, I was very, you know, poor at that. And then, you know, there's, you know, many other subjects and I was probably average-ish. However, the reason why I'm bringing this up is a lot of people that listen to this show, um, you know, we're, a lot of us are professionals in some way. Not everyone, you know, there's a wide range, but I think it's a pretty smart crew out there. In those AP classes that I was in, I usually was like the dumbest person in my little circle of friends of about 10 or so. And to just be very like specific, I'm, I'm like 43, right? So back in those days, we took the SAT around the parts that I'm from. So we took SAT and the score was out of 1600 back in those days. To be honest, 
I don't know what it's out of now. I think it might be out of 2,400. I think they added another section. I don't know. <laughs> I moved on with my life. I don't have kids, so I don't pay attention. doesn't impact me at all. But most of my friends scored, um, I think like, I would say 1,450 to uh, 1,500. One of my good friends, I think she scored a fucking 1,580, nearly perfect on the SAT. I scored a uh, 1240, hundreds of points lower than my peer group. And those were, that was like my crew, right? The, the nerdiest of the nerdy people, you know, about 10 of us or so. And I scored the lowest of, of that group. And it's fine, right? I mean, I, my grades were fine. Um, I, I did well in the things that I was good at and, you know, dumbest person in my group. Now, I, I realized that, you know, if you scored less than 1240, you're like, well, Doug, you're smarter than me. They're just dumb tests. But I, it is a very discreet, a very specific number where I could point at and say, yeah, I'm clearly not the smartest person in the room here, but I can get by. If I don't know something, I, I ask. I do try to learn. And I um, actually was recently, I was doing something. There's going to be a future episode about this coming up, but I was doing something and I was actually um, around an audio engineer and he records concerts and stuff like that. And I can record a podcast. I'm probably making some, you know, silly, dumb mistakes in the way I do things, but I can record a podcast and it's good enough for people to listen to and they can hear me clearly or guess clearly. But I was asking him all about this, this audio stuff. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm really ignorant uh, about what you're doing. And he had you know, a, a mobile uh, rack, a board. And he had, you know, microphones he was setting up all over the place. And I was just, I was like, what are you doing with this? And what are you doing with that? And I was just like, I'm, I'm really ignorant in this. I, I don't know anything about it, but I'm curious. Can you just tell me like two or three things and ask specific questions, of course, but I, I will come in and try to learn stuff. So all that to say, that I think Sam might be pretty smart. And I think a lot of people that are very smart end up in sort of endless research. They are trying to gather more and more information and they get stuck without taking action. Now, Sam doesn't have that problem. He has taken lots of action. He likes to start things. So he'll move on to another area and that is, you know, one of those things that it's somewhat of a personality trait, I believe, or at least a habit. You know, I, I'm no, I'm no psychologist, but it, maybe it's a pattern where you know you you feel excited, you feel comfortable starting things, but when you don't get the results that you're expecting, or maybe when you're not getting much traction in general you just get bored and you think, well, I'm going to start the next thing. I may as well move on to something else. Now, all the things that you listed out, uh, TV programming, podcast, online courses, DVDs, uh, Facebook group, YouTube channel, all those things are pretty good skills. And the fact that you shipped stuff is really important and impressive. A lot of people will just be in that, you know, mental masturbation area where they're thinking of starting the thing. And, you know, we'll use the podcast, for example, 
They're, they're working on branding. They're trying to come up with a name. <laughs> they're coming up with logos. They are doing all this other shit that looks like business and feels busy. And then they never even ship an episode of their podcast. And if you really enjoy like this, just the creation part and you don't really care if you ship, that's fine. But I mean, if your goal is to actually get a podcast out there, then it's really important to record and publish those things. So I believe, Sam, you're at a spot where you maybe need to find something that you're really passionate about. And in your email, you did mention some specific uh, topics that, you know, all these things, I, I just generalized it so I didn't reveal any of the stuff that you're working on. But I see a pattern here. And I, I think there is a passion that you have and it's stuff that you would be doing anyway. So I have a feeling if you just, you know, work on one of those for a little bit longer, you'll probably get more traction and it's wonderful when you start getting that traction, you start getting a little success, then the motivation comes and you don't have to rely so much on willpower, just sheer willpower to keep working on it. You want to work on it because it's fun. For example, I'm recording this episode on a Saturday morning. I just happened to have some free time and I was excited about these emails that I got. And I wanted to talk about it. Also, my wife's out of town, so there's like less going on around here. And, you know, to total tangent, yesterday was a bit of a wash. I take Fridays off anyway, but yesterday was just completely a mess. I had to take her to the airport. There was weather, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, it is a Saturday morning and I could be, you know, just out doing you know, nothing. But I was like, I'm excited. Like, these are great topics. And I want to talk about it more. So keep at it, Sam, find something, stick to it longer. I think that is, you know, one of the keys when someone does ask me what is like the, the number one characteristic that you've seen with people that are successful with websites or entrepreneurship or something further. Of course, I have more experience with the website side and online marketing area and that is just persistence, being stubborn. I've seen people that I, I, was, I was shocked. I was shocked that they were able to do the things that they said that they were going to do because they didn't, they didn't come off very much like a really intelligent person who, you know, could solve problems and figure out their way through many of the issues that we might run into. However, they were like a bulldog, like a pit bull or fill in some analogy for just <laughs> someone who won't let go. And I could think of a few people that are like this. They will work late nights. They'll work hard. They'll work in the most inefficient way that is just frustrating to hear about but they get results. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, you could have, only if they ask, but I'm like, you could have done a couple things like this and saved a little bit of time, but through sheer willpower and brute force, they worked their way through it and got good results. And it was through the 
persistence and stubbornness to just work through it, which, you know, it's, it's amazing, but that is one of those characteristics. It's like, you know, don't, don't quit. Now I'm not saying you should never quit, right? Quitting things is actually good, but it has to be, you know, quitting like the extra websites I was talking about. I realized I was starting too many websites. I was acquiring too many domains. So I I quit that. So it's about focusing on one effort very hard and you should take checkpoints like assessments along the way so that you're not like going down the wrong path or anything like that. But when it comes down to it, if you keep working on something and you keep pivoting and adjusting, most things are going to be okay. One area we talk about all the time is like competition analysis and like the keyword competitiveness. And it's all about, you know, the competition out there. But now as I'm, I'm seeing results out there and I'm looking at longer timelines, if someone says, oh, can I rank for this really hard keyword? The answer is, yeah, but like you probably can. You just have to look at a timeline that's realistic. A lot of times people are like, can I outrank this huge website in six months? It's like, fuck no, like that doesn't make sense. But if you're looking at, maybe three years or something like that. Well, if, if you're working really hard on your website, then maybe you can. And I'm using website as the analogy here, but it could be anything. It could be, you know, YouTube, TikTok, like if, fill in any of our online things. But I believe it probably fits for other businesses as well. So there are, you know, many options and it's all about, a realistic timeline, how much effort you're going to put in and the people that are, you know, at the top right now in the future, they may not be right. Things go up and down people's interest shift. If it's a, you know, a larger company, sometimes companies have a you know change in management, change in direction, things go wrong. So stuff changes all the time and there's no reason, you know, you can't rank for something or you can't do a certain thing. All the companies, everything started at zero. So all, all the websites you see out there, they started with nothing. Now, again, got to be realistic, but technically, you know, any any website can be outranked, you know, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm an expert in that area. So side note here, and I think we'll, we'll finish up here. If you do have comments on anything I said or comments for Sam, do let us know. Just shoot me an email, feedback at Doug.show. The uh, one of the side side stories here as we're winding down is uh, I got a new tattoo, and I'm actually recording this episode fairly early. So right now, the date that I'm recording this, I've had the tattoo for about a week or so. And the funny thing is, depending on when you listen to uh, other episodes and content that I put out, you may have already heard about the tattoo. I have talked about getting one for a little bit, but it, it is on my right uh, forearm area and it is a sun and three stars. If you are, if you followed me for a little while and you've seen me on camera, you may know I have a star tattoo, just a black star uh, under my right wrist. That was the first tattoo that I got 
nearly 20 years ago. And it was just, it's, it doesn't mean anything specific. I actually had a dream a couple days beforehand that I had a tattoo on my wrist, a star tattoo. And I was driving out to Colorado, ironically. I was driving out to basically where I live now. And I stopped in St. Louis to visit a friend. And she was like, oh, you should get a tattoo. She she already had one. And I was like, ah, we were drinking at like lunch or something. Yeah, I think that's right. We were drinking like whiskey at lunch or something. <laughs> Which is how you end up getting a tattoo when you never planned on getting one. And she was like, oh, yeah, you should get that. And uh, yeah, you know what? I haven't talked to her in like basically 20 years. But um, yeah, she got one too. So we both have tattoos on our wrist there, star tattoos. And I haven't gotten a tattoo in many years. I have two others, which maybe I'll talk about sometime in the future. But anyway, I've wanted to get more tattoos and probably every two to three years, I would get the the urge, I'd start looking. And then eventually I would realize, ah, I'm not really sure what I want. And then I would forget about it for another two years. Almost like clockwork, I would just start researching and I'm like, I'm not really sure. Now, as time has gone on, I started to appreciate the sleeve look of a tattoo. And I was like, oh, well, I would kind of want to get a sleeve. And I have a big tattoo on my uh, right shoulder as well. And I was like, should I try to make everything fit together? Like, I'm not an artist, so like, I don't know, like, what I would want the tattoo to be, especially a full sleeve. So I kept stalling and I just wasn't sure. Now I'm half Filipino. So I was doing research for Filipino related tattoos. And one that came up that I thought looked cool was an eight pointed sun with three stars, which is on the Filipino flag. So that is what my tattoo was. And for the people that haven't seen it over on, uh, you know, I think Maybe on YouTube, you may have seen it. By the time this comes out, I probably will have posted some pictures over on Instagram so you can have a look at my Instagram and see it. And um, yeah, I would say it's fairly big-ish. It's about the size of my hand, like if I wrap it around my wrist and then the, the stars are, you know, around it if that makes sense. So there's an eight pointed sun about the size of my hand. And then there's three stars. Now I I wisely reused one of the stars that was already on my, my wrist here. So the tattoo artist, Andy, he like went over the old star just to give it a a freshen up, you know, it's 20 years old. It, It looked pretty good, but now, you know, all the ink, is sort of the same hue. Now I'm I'm only about a week out, so it's still healing. Um, I, th- I guess technically like eight days out or so. Um, a lot of the scabs sort of flaked off, and it's not like a like a bloody scab like you might imagine. It's more like the skin flakes off, and it doesn't. You know, it does look gross. It doesn't not look gross. So I'll just emphasize that uh, when the skin kind of peels off, but it's like when a, uh, a snake sheds its skin. So it just kind of, kind of falls off. It looks kind of flaky. It's not bloody or anything like that. It was a very, you know, uh, quick healing process. It was, you know, I kept plastic over it for about three hours or so, and then took it off and it was, you know, good to go. No extra bleeding or weird oozing or anything like that. Kept it clean. I'm a very, 
like a hygienic person as far as like washing your hands and food preparation and all that kind of stuff. So I washed it often, but not too much. I was very gentle with it. I used uh, Aquaphor to to put on it while it was healing for about you know five six days, and then I put you know some fragrance-free, very uh, light lotion on it the last few days. So it's healing up good. And I think, you know, probably in a day or two, I think almost all of the the scab, the skin flaked off already. There's probably just a little bit more. And of course, you're supposed to keep it out of direct sunlight for, I think, like two weeks is what they say. But I know when I got my other tattoos, I was very, I babied him a lot, you know, I tried to keep him out of the sun as much as possible for like the first six months or something like that. So, and if I was out in the sun, I'd, you know, put sunscreen on it. So I'm sure I'm going to baby this one quite a bit as well. It looks great. And I'm, I'm pumped. You know, I was a little nervous, uh, about the tattoo, just the, the pain that one has to endure under the needle and it hurt for sure. And there were definitely some more sensitive areas like the inside of my arm, was definitely a little more tender and there was one of the stars is just about directly over my vein on the inside of my elbow a little bit down from there but i think it's it's close enough to the same region where the nerves (laughs) the nerves recognized that there was something funny going on but that hurt a little bit and then there were other areas where i'm like ah you know that, that doesn't hurt too bad but I made it through and I'm excited and I'll probably start filling out the arm a little bit more. I'm not sure what I want to do with the rest of it. Plus I got the whole other arm. There's nothing on my left arm at all. So everything I have right now is uh, on this uh, right arm is all black, just black ink. And I do like some of the color that I see out there, especially some of the bright vivid colors. So I'm not sure, you know, what I want to do, but it's something to think about and kind of fun. You know, it's a piece of art on your, uh, on your body. So pretty fun. All right. That's the story for today. Don't forget, shoot me an email feedback at Doug.show. And I think that's it. 